The QMC Board and Collar Series presents Excuse My Medic, the podcast version of an MCI with Chuck Humphrey and Gary Harvat. Excuse My Medic takes a unique look at today's emergency medical service news and information with hot topics, great guests, and maybe even a few offbeat stories along the way. Get ready for opinionated discussions, lively talk, sporadic jabs, and even a few belly laughs from our world of EMS. Excuse My Medic is brought to you by QuickMed Claims, a national leader in revenue cycle management and reimbursement consulting for air and ground emergency medical services. Now, hang on to the bench seat and secure your cervical collar as these gray-haired guys from EMS Past take you on a Code 3 ride with no real destination in mind. You've had the disclaimer, and if you're still brave enough to stick it out, let's get started. Take it away, guys. Good day, everyone. My name is Gary Harvett. I'm from the client services team at QuickMed Claims. Hey, and Chuck's over here. Uh, Chuck Humphrey from the business development team out of beautiful Danville, Pennsylvania. Great, and welcome to Excuse My Medic. We're glad you're here today. We've got some great topics to discuss, and we hope you'll spend uh, about a half hour with us and uh, hope you'll find the program informative, uh, a little thought-provoking, some lightheartedness, and, and helpful along the way. So. Uh, with that, Chuck, how's everything with you today? Well, it's been good. Um, had a nice weekend. Um, actually, we babysat my three-year-old uh, great-nephew, and so it's been a long time since Mrs. H and I have had a toddler in the house, so I must tell you about We took him to the amusement park over at Knobles Grove here in eastern Pennsylvania, and he had a blast, so it was fun. Uh, it was fun spending some time with the little guy, but let me tell you, when he left, we were ready to rest. <laughs> uh, that's pretty good. I know uh, we've been uh, busy at our house. I think I mentioned our during our last um, last show that uh, we were at that time getting ready for my daughter's wedding. Well, we are to the point that that is this Saturday. So I can't say the wedding word too many times in one sentence because I start to get choked up and my eyes water and I have this... Uh, I've got to get through the the walk down the aisle, the father daughter dance, and the welcome from the from the dad. And if I can get to that, I think after that I'll have a real enjoyable evening. But right now my stomach's in a bit of a knot, so I'm truly glad that I'm that I'm working. I'm spending time with you today, Chuck, because otherwise I think my mind would be going in a different direction. And it's my only girl. I got two boys on each side, the girl in the middle, and it's my little girl. So uh, somehow or another I'm going to get through it. But uh, all in all, I think it's a great thing. Well, I'm a dad of two girls, so uh, I've been down the aisle once, and uh, so I, I uh, certainly understand. I wish you the best, and uh, it's going to be a fantastic day. You, you, you wait. It'll go so fast, you won't even know it happened. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So I'm trying to savor the moment as much as I can. But uh, back on the docket here, what do you got for us today, Chuck? What's, uh, what's on your agenda? Well, real quick, I want to loop back around to last uh, topic, so last session, uh, I just picked up a news article, uh, Wyoming uh, Department of Health, the state of Wyoming is uh, proposing to extend a portion of their Medicaid coverage to all residents to cover air ambulance. So the plan that they're proposing, and it just was released, is that they would competitively bid with air ambulance providers to provide the service and then recoup revenue back from insurance companies to level the playing field. Very innovative model. Um, yesterday, they uh, rolled out for public meetings uh, over at Laramie County in Cheyenne. And um, on the 8th, which that is, what, Thursday, yep. uh, from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Uh, out there, 
um, at Central Wyoming College in Health Sciences in Riverton, they're going to have another public comment uh, meeting. So anybody who's listening that might be from uh, the state of Wyoming and has a vested interest in air ambulance coverage, you might want to take in that meeting or find if there's some way to digitally uh, join. But thought it was an interesting model and they're certainly looking at um, how to tackle that balance filling issue and be fair to all sides. So uh, more to come, but just thought I'd loop back and update us on that on that topic since that's uh, something that's been a late-breaking development. I can't think of any other state that's even um, doing anything close to this. Am, am I right? No, the only thing I could think of would be a state like Maryland where the Maryland State Troopers actually yeah. provide the air ambulance service. And even then, there are private guys that operate in and out. So uh, I think it's very unique. Um, it's kind of a think-out-of-the-box uh, of course, it's driven by Medicaid. I don't know what the reimbursement dollars would be, but um, you know, it'd be interesting to follow that. That you know, that could start something unique, and uh, be interesting to see how that sifts out. Well, something we will surely want to pay uh, a lot of attention to. And beyond that, so you know, big news this week um, was um, within the last several days was the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services (CMS) um, announced last week uh, a proposed rule. Uh, to revise the 2020 physician's fee schedule. And as part of that, uh, you know, this is a 1,704-page document, Gary. 80 <laughs> pages pertain to ambulance, round ambulance. Uh, so sandwiched right in the middle <laughs> was, um, was some significant shifts, two specific changes. So the first big change is to uh, the physician certification statement, or we call them PCSs, uh, portion of the regulations. Um, and then the second is uh, cost data collection. So I thought we'll take a look, uh, just talk a little bit about the PCS thing because it's kind of the shorter part. And then um, I think you and I will probably have to agree to have another session or so on uh, the cost collection because that's really important. Um, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, I'd be interested to hear about the PCS because uh, we do have a number of uh, non-emergency transport providers, both as clients and friends, um, that I think this will impact. And hopefully, uh, based on what you tell me, it'll be in, impacted in a positive way. Yeah, so, you know, for, for several years, we've had this PCS uh, quite a while. Um, and, of course, just background, all non-emergency routine scheduled or unscheduled transports uh, require a PCS from the sending facility or staff uh, of the sending facility. And that's uh, to be obtained by the ambulance agency, remain on file to support the medical necessity of the ambulance trip. Um, it's not a doctor's order. And you know, this is one of the things that's kind of confusing. Uh, the industry kind of looked at it and has morphed that into, well, this is an order from a doc. So if the doc orders it, it's got to get paid. That was never meant to be that way. And you know, I thought it was very interesting as you read the proposed rule here, CMS made it very, very clear that they want to strike down that thought that this is an order and focus not on the form, which they never prescribed the form. It, it was always said that it could be anything that um, brought about and proved the medical necessity of the transport um, and signed off by a physician, preferably, or other persons that were named. We'll get into that in a minute. Um, but they really took great pains this time to say, look, we want to get you guys away from thinking this is the form, but the purpose behind the form is what they're stressing. And that's supporting the medical necessity of the transport so that it proves without a shadow of a doubt 
that the patient could be transported by any other means, meaning wheelchair van, private vehicle, taxi, uh, car, bus, you name it, uh, anything but an ambulance. So they really want to nail that down. So with this revision, what they basically said is, look, we know it's not possible sometimes for the ambulance company to obtain the physician's signature and the physician form. So we're going to give you some flexibility, and they're introducing what they're terming as the quote-unquote non-physician uh, documentation. So basically what they said was anybody in this loop, and we'll name some of the possibilities, if the physician isn't able to sign, can sign off on any documentation written that proves the medical necessity. So they mentioned, just as an example, it could be uh, some kind of transfer form. And I know, you know, I'm on the street, when we do a transfer, um, sometimes you just get that uh, form that gives you the details about the transfer. As long as it has medical necessity information, that would cut it. They even mentioned an EMTALA form, you know, so those are forms that different states have different iterations of that, but it can be any document that has knowledge of the patient. So as it stands right now, if a physician doesn't sign, you can have a physician assistant, a nurse practitioner, clinical nurse specialist, registered nurses, or anyone who fits the title of discharge planner. Those were the current rules. That right. discharge planner thing, that kind of got a little gray and fuzzy. I got sure did. Um, now the proposed rule says, you know, we realize that that was a limited group of people. We're going to recognize LPNs, licensed practical nurses, social workers, and even case managers. That really opens up. That's very welcome because those people were signing and then you had to make a case for their discharge planners and there was a lot of haze around that. So that uh, clarifies it up uh, quite a bit. And, and then, um, it, you know, they went on to say, look, can't be just any old LPN, somebody you just pull out of the woodwork. Um, to sign off on these, it's got to be someone that has personal knowledge of the patient's condition at the time of the transport and must be employed by either the attending physician and or the sending facility. So that makes logical sense. It does. Uh, it, it broadens it, but it still locks it down to people who have knowledge of the patient. So that's good news. I uh, agree. And, and, you know, CMS came out and said, look, we listen to you guys. We've been hearing all these comments. Um, you know, the stakeholders have, you've told us for years that you need some kind of change. They actually thought about scrapping the, you know, the American Ambulance Association has been lobbying hard just to do away with this. Right. They said, look, we don't think we can do that. We got to have some kind of independent proof, but we'll revise it so it's swallowable. I guess that would be the, the best term. And, and I, think they, I think they've done a pretty good job with that by expanding who can sign, by, you know, stating that, hey, it doesn't have to be any one form. Um, I think that, you know, it's consistent with President uh, um, Trump's uh, kind of mandate that we want to minimize regulation, get rid of some outdated, obsolete, intrusive uh, regulations. And I think it fits uh, kind of the, the form of that uh, pretty well. Do you think, Chuck, I mean, I'm, we've, you think that's the driving force, uh, President Trump's initiative with this? Uh, because, you know, between ET3 and now this, um, it's, it seems to me that 
in the first time that I can honestly remember my professional career, the CMS is, is actually listening. I mean, that's the impression I get right now at this moment. How this will end up and what the face of this thing will look like at the end of the day, I don't know. But, you know, I mean, first we have ET3. When was that, when was that announced? In February or something like that? Yeah, yep. And then, and now this, and I'm starting to think, well, maybe they do hear us. And, and you're right. Kudos to the American Ambulance Association because I know they're in, the, they're in the fight. But um, I think up to this time, I, I think there was a lot of deaf ears in, in Washington as far as anything that we, we wanted them to look at. Yeah, I think there's more of a hands-off policy. I, I don't know if it directly ties to this, but I think it's the climate uh, in Washington right now. Um, and, and I also think that there's been a lot more education from our side, the industry, talking and saying, look, if you guys don't do something, we're going to be in a world of hurt here. You know? And, and then the, you, you, that draws me into the second point, and that's the cost data collection tool. And that just rolled out along with this. And, you know, really the reason behind that was when Congress extended the bonus payments, you know, the 2% urban, 3% rural, 22.6% uh, super rural payments that we all get. Um, they extended it for five years back last year and said, we'll give you another five, but we're going to mandate that we need a handle on how much it costs for you to provide and also on your margins. And so the second part of this, uh, really the part with the more meat, um, is that cost data collection tool that's now going to be mandated. And, and to be honest with you, um, the industry sees this as a good thing. Uh, the AAA said the other day, the onus is on us, meaning the industry, to provide Congress finally with the first set of um, real data uh, in order to get a handle on how far underfunded we are by Medicare. And, uh, I, you know, it's on us now to provide really good information using the tool that they provided. And there's a sample of that tool we can all review. Uh, it's going to be an online tool, but they put out a kind of a PDF uh, a print of what it's going to look like. And uh, while it's going to be um, some time to respond, um, I think it's good because I think this is going to show if we do it the right way, finally how much EMS costs in America, uh, how much uh, readiness to respond and the standbys and all of that factor in that I don't think that our leadership in Washington has ever had a real good clue about what it has cost for us to do what we do. And so I'm really hoping that as this rolls out, um, and it's, you know, it's gonna be a, a four-year period uh, every NPI will have to report their costs. Um, and uh, I think if we all do it right and spend some time, um, that this will really give them, come 2023, uh, something to say, all right, we need to revise that Medicare fee schedule once and for all and pay ambulance services based on what uh, it's costing to provide the service. And fingers crossed that that's really what happens. But So I think it's a larger um, kind of objective uh, to understand our industry uh, and try to fix what is appearing to be broken uh, in the past year. Uh, and honestly, you know, there's a penalty to it. So if folks don't do it, uh, you have five months to comply once you get the uh, demand and then it'll be a 10% uh, penalty off your Medicare payments if you don't. So they put some teeth to this and they really did. be serious about it. And uh, so we'll cover that in more depth 
you know, in, in another, um, in another podcast or two, but um, uh, this is what's coming. And like I said, think part of a larger climate of just where people are looking at us and saying, Hey, we need to take a look at this before we have some kind of major tragedy and we're not all in place to, uh, to be ready to do it. I can see though, we're going to get some pushback here. I mean, I think there's good reasons for it. I think it's well justified. I think there's good outcomes that come from it. I just got to tell you, I still, I still feel pushback from, um, from some of the providers across the oh. nation. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. First of all, this is no walk in the park. No. When you when we finally dig into and look at that um, cost reporting tool, uh, there's a lot of data that you just can't walk over to the shelf and pull. You can't just hit a key on your computer and have it develop. This is going to take some work. And in some cases, especially the smaller volunteer organizations, which are required to report big or small, um, it's going to be confusing. Um, and it's going to be something that a volunteer, you know, that's already worked a 40, 50, 60 hour week and is barely making running calls is now going to have to sit down and provide this data. Um, in some cases, you're going to have to hire maybe a consultant or somebody that, you know, an accountant that can pull the data. That's going to be costly. And then putting it all together and being responsible to getting it to the government uh, is going to be a, another issue. So I agree with you. I, and in the middle of this all, we have an election coming up. Right. So if the tables change, then you have to wonder, will it even carry forward? But it is statute. So it ties back to that 2018 um, extension and the statute that surrounded that. So it's going to be hard to reverse unless they would completely reverse the rule. It's just going to be interesting that should we change administration, should we change uh, direction to the other side of the aisle in 2020? Will they be as um, uh, dogged about going after this? Um, there's a lot of variables, Gary. How often, Chuck, do they have to, are they going to have to report this data? Is it going to be on an annual basis or? Um... No, um, your number will be chosen. Uh, first of all, we're going to use the 2017 Medicare billing data. I see. So if you have 12 months worth of billing in that 12-month uh, view, if you build one claim to Medicare, um, any NPI that has been built, now, NPI is the national provider identifier. Um, any NPI that has built a claim to Medicare, the number will come up in random uh, stratified sample. You'll get a, a letter or an email from um, CMS saying your number's up. At that point, you have five months to comply, and that will only come up once in a four-year period. Four year. Okay. So we're starting in 2020, so the first period is... 2020 to 2024, let's say your number doesn't come up until year three, you would not again in year four see that again, but two years afterward in 2025, your number could come up again in the random and you'd have to do it again, but only once in four years will you have to do it. Now, the large organizations that operate under multiple NPIs, um, their NPI, they may have to do two or three or four rounds every year, depending on how those individual MPIs come up by random selection. So that's where you're going to find there's going to be a little bit of uh, pain involved uh, with the large organizations that may end up with more than one MPI. Interesting times, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I got to tell you, um, I, I didn't, you know, back in the day when you and I started and all this, I, 
I'm not so sure we ever foresaw this, uh, this kind of thing coming up. And it just seems to me, and maybe I'm just paying closer attention to it than I once had, but just seems like right now there's a lot of moving parts. And uh, again, that's not all bad. I'll be anxious to see how it washes out, but it just seems like there's a lot of things going on uh, at, the, at the very same time. So interesting. So we'll keep you up to date on this information. I think it's uh, something that's going to be uh, important to us as an industry moving forward and ultimately uh, will be, pause, be viewed as positive, positive and come out that way as well. Yeah, we'll, we'll follow this for sure because it's going to be something that's going to be on the radar screen for, for some time to come. And, you know, um, we deal with clients every day. So I'm sure there'll be questions and, uh, you know, some of this we'll, we'll learn as we go and um, walk alongside of our clients to, to make sure that, um, you know, and this is a little bit of a advertisement, but um, you want to make sure and our listeners that you're connected with, if you're outsourcing your billing with a contractor that's really on top of this, because there is a reimbursement reporting part of this and, uh, you know, want to make sure you're going to be able to extract that data just like you are your cost data as well. Very good point. Good point. So uh, moving on with the program, Chuck, thanks for that. We appreciate it. Uh, you always seem to stay on top of things and, and for that uh, we're grateful. So thank you. Um, I think it's, uh, I think it's your turn this, this time to do the, the word of the day. So have you, uh, have you given this any thought and come up with anything to try to stump me on? I think I, I zinged you pretty good on our last episode. So I'm well, kind I, of I, holding my breath here. I've got a good one for you. I got to tell you, when I saw this, I thought, ah, this is a, this is a Gary word here. So the word of the day is, now listen closely, formication. Now, stop for a minute. Yeah, notice the pause. There is a <laughs> one letter difference from the other word that we might hear if we don't listen closely. So it's F-O-R-M as in Mike, I-C-A-T-I-O-N, not N as in Nancy. So I want to make sure, because I don't want to know about any of that. No, so, no, no. Formication um, is the word, and we'll see if you can come up with how to properly use that. Goodness, formication. Yes, uh, in all my years, I, I haven't heard that one. Um, so, um, you want a hint? Uh, no, let me try it without the hint. Okay. Probably just lead to making me making much more of a fool of myself, but let me let me try it. Um, so um, I was responding code three to an incident that involved three patients that had some semblance of formication. That, um, that wasn't the best sentence, but I think you get the gist of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, your sentence structure would work. Okay. But I'm not sure that you... You, you, that you define what the word means. Yes. So, so your sentence structure would work, but it doesn't doesn't tell doesn't you indicate anything. what the word means. Is this a noun? Give me a hint. Uh, it is a noun. It is a noun. One small hint. Go it's ahead. The sense of feeling. Goodness. So. Uh, coming upon the young woman in labor, I had an overwhelming 
aura of formication come over me? Geez, wow. we're getting worse instead of better here. If that's the case, then she's in big trouble. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's not belabor this. Notice right. the belabor this based yeah. on my example. Uh, uh, so, All right. So here we go. Go ahead. Formication refers to the sensation that resembles the feeling of small insects crawling on your skin. The word actually comes from the Latin formicatio, which means crawl like an ant. So it's a scientific way of describing a creepy, crawly feeling. I wasn't even close. Well, yeah, because if you had a sense of formication going into a, an OB emergency, um, that girl is really in trouble. Yeah, yeah. That, that girl is definitely in, in a bad the way. Best, uh, the best context I can put this in is um, I have seen um, people who had um, uh, anaphylaxis. Yes. Complain of itching like that, or also illicit drug use sometimes will solicit that response. So that would be how it would. So go ahead and use that in a sentence, Chuck, the proper uh, way. The overdose patient had a overwhelming feeling of formication and was itching uncontrollably. I was kind of close on my first sentence. You're right. But uh, at the fork in the road, I took the wrong, I zigged when I should have zagged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, that was a good try. Good oh, try. yeah. Better than mine last, last time. Yeah. And thank you for taking time to uh, enunciate that uh, clearly, as well as spell it out for, for me. Yeah, well, because, I did that for Mrs. Harvat. So. Yes, thank you. And because uh, this show could have gone from uh, open to all audiences to a uh, discreet uh, group at that point. But thank you for that. I appreciate that. Oh, hey, I've, I've got a couple things in the news today I thought we'd share. Um, and I thought they were uh, interesting. You know, none of these stories that we shared are ones that show up on the ABC Evening News, but I think it's well worth. Uh, mentioning here because there are some, as we know, and we've been across the industry by travel and, and profession and, and it's like, you know, there's some great people out there doing some unbelievable things and, um, you know, not that they demand recognition, but I think in our little world here uh, with our listeners, I think it's a great thing to, to, to give them some pats on the back and kudos for. So this uh, first story comes out of, of Greenbelt, Maryland. Um, and this is a firefighter, a volunteer firefighter. Again, the operative word here is volunteer. Uh, that goes by the name of Todd McKinney. He's a volunteer with Bel Air, Maryland Volunteer Fire Company, which we know well. Yes, we do. Yes. Good folks down there. Uh, and believe it or not, Todd is going to join other, about 60 other hardworking volunteers and guests on an all-expense paid cruise courtesy of the Cabot Creamery Cooperative. I take it that's like a milk cooperative. Um, you yeah, familiar with that at all? Yeah, it's familiar. Uh, New York State, I think, is where they're based and kind of down through the mid-Atlantic. Yeah, it's a, it's a good organization, obviously. Yeah, and I think this is what's really great about this is here is a non-healthcare entity you know, it's not a hospital or a, yeah. a group of physicians. This is a creamery that's taking time to recognize a community service. So Todd's going to be recognized uh, by the creamery, and uh, which is a New York and New England family-owned company. Um, and, uh, you know, he makes it obvious for making a significant difference in his community. Um, I think that's just a great thing, and uh, congratulations to Todd. So wonderful, wonderful thing that this company is doing and, and kudos to Todd and the other 59 people who 
uh, are taking a cruise uh, uh, on the high seas uh, thanks to the good people at Cabot Creamery Cooperative. How nice of a story that is. Yeah, what a great feel-good story, too. I think Todd's got, you know, something like 30 years of service in uh, uh, just, just, just really, really honored, and uh, what fun that's going to be! That's fantastic. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and also, our good friends at Mercy Flight Central uh, have been uh, awarded uh, full accreditation for their air medical uh, transport service, their helicopter program there. Uh, and so, kudos to them for getting getting their CAMTS accreditation. How great for them! I know those things are a lot of work, having been through. Uh, one of those reviews in the past, it's nothing that you can throw together overnight. It takes months of preparation, lots of paperwork, uh, lots of policies and procedures in place. And that's something that very few, a number of the flight programs that make their way through. Actually, I think there's about 160 programs in the United States internationally that do have this credit accreditation. So, and I think they're one of the two flight programs that are in New York state that has it. So good for them. Yeah, fantastic. Great job, guys. Very, very good. Very nice. And uh, do you have anything else, Chuck, for us? I got a, actually, I got a pretty lighthearted story, but I'm not sure I don't want to step on your toes if you've got something. No, I had to, well, I ran across this story. Um, an ambulance that was stolen, now that sounds serious, but um, the guy that stole it, um, well, this was in Harris County, Virginia, right, right outside of Richmond, um, parked at the hospital facility, keys in the, in the truck, just kind of quick run in. And when they come out, there's the ambulance going. And uh, it turns out that the cops uh, came in, uh, Harris County Sheriff's Department followed the guy, followed him to KFC, where he had a finger looking, licking good time um, <laughs> with a couple of other things. So he went from KFC, then went to a gas station, got some Doritos and a drink. And when the police finally caught up with him, uh, the lieutenant uh, was quoted in the story as saying, I rolled up on him, opened the door, asked him why he had the ambulance, and he said he needed a ride to go get some KFC and some goodies, and he backed out, put his hands together, I handcuffed him, and he, and we arrested him without incident. So he just basically just said, well, I'll take a ride in the ambulance, go get some chicken and a little bit of a snack, and I'll be none the worse for wear. Well, he found himself in a little bit of trouble for doing that. That comes under the classification of... What were you really thinking there? My goodness. Um, I got one that ranks. The story had a picture of this overturned bowl and (laughs) the Dorito bag. It's just so funny. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've got one uh, on the same lines. Uh, What do they call those awards? Is it the Darwin Awards for people who do very, very stupid and foolish things and get caught at it. Yeah, something like that. Well, here's, here's one for you. Check this one out. Uh, uh, the medics were called for a 32-year-old man whose uh, chief complaint was bleeding from the ears. Uh, when the medics arrived and they uh, assessed the patient and took a look at his ears, his ears it appeared uh, pretty obvious to them that uh, the gentleman had damaged eardrums, which is somewhat hard to do yeah so uh, they asked him what had happened to cause this and i hope you're sitting down chuck because here's his answer he replied well i had some blocked ears you see and i quote and so i used a screwdriver and some tissues and tried to clean them out clean out my ears by pushing it through my head you know like they do in the bugs bunny cartoons (laughs) oh my gracious 
I actually read that three times because I couldn't believe what I was reading. So the old screwdriver in one ear and out the other, I guess, is what, what he was trying to do and get all that waxy buildup out of there. So so much uh, for Googling WebMD. You just watch Bugs Bunny <laughs> for your health care. Yeah, surely a medical source. Surely. So thank you to the creators of uh, the uh, Looney Tunes cartoons for all their, their medical knowledge here. So... Hey, Chuck, we're about out of time, but uh, I wanted to tell you thanks and uh, appreciate all your insight. And uh, I hope uh, you have a good remainder of the week and want to surely tell our listeners to uh, thanks for attending. And we hope that they'll stop by again. And if, any closing remarks, my friend? No. Uh, yeah. Thanks uh, for everybody listening in. And uh, Gary, we wish you the best in your walk down the aisle. <laughs> um, you know, seriously. Uh, much congratulations to that beautiful young lady of yours. I'm sure she's going to be radiant and you're going to be a blubbering mess. <laughs> With that, we'll uh, say adieu and uh, uh, hope everybody will come back and join us again. Thank you, Chuck. And thank you, everybody, for joining us. We look forward to more presentations in the future. Please feel free to drop us your comments anytime at client services at quickmedclaims.com. And uh, again, thank you to everybody for, for having us today. We appreciate it. For that, we'll say have a great day. And hey, be safe out be there. Be safe out there.